Well, good morning, Hillcrest. Sure is good to see everybody this morning. Aren't you thankful to be in the house of the Lord and worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth? And do you not appreciate the great leadership we've had from this stage this morning? Show some love to Pastor Brad and to those who have led us so capably once again today. Take your Bible, if you would please, and be finding the book of Jonah this morning. Jonah is not an easy book of the Bible to find, but you can find it. It can be done. Best thing to do if you're not sure where it is is to let your Bible fall open right to the very middle and you'll be somewhere near Psalms or Isaiah. Keep coming through those big beefy prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. Then you'll get to the smaller prophets, Hosea, Amos, Joel, Obadiah, and then you find the book of Jonah. And uh, we're going to settle there for not only today, Uh, but for the next eight weeks together at Hillcrest as we examine the very powerful message of this tiny book uh, of the Old Testament. I'm delighted to have everybody here this morning, particularly those of you that may be our guests today. Maybe you've come back since Easter, big day last week, as Brad said, and uh, we're grateful for all of our guests today and for those of you that may be here from last week. If you've never completed a guest registration card, be sure to do that before the day is over and then go to one of our Welcome Next Step centers, either right behind you or over by the coffee shop. And uh, those folks will receive that card from you and give you a gift to take home uh, with you today. A special welcome to those of you that are with us online, wherever you may be. We're delighted that you've tuned in this morning and praying that God would richly bless your life as you um, engage in worship with us uh, via the internet or your device, whatever the case might be. I'm excited to begin this series of messages today from a book that I've not treated in a long, long time, certainly not uh, here on our Lord's Day gatherings at um, Hillcrest, and that is from one of the Bible's most familiar and important books. Jonah is uh, technically considered one of the Bible's minor prophets, but Um, I'm not particularly crazy about that moniker. Uh, Jonah is a minor prophet in terms of how we categorize him, not because his writings or any of the other minor prophets' writings are of lesser value than the so-called big boys, but because their writings are just short. Uh, They're not 66 chapters long, amen? So they're comparatively very brief. And uh, there's only, in the book of Jonah, 48 verses. There are entire chapters from the Gospels, chapters from the book of Acts that are longer in terms of their narrative than, than the entire book that we call Jonah. So you can read it in just a few minutes, literally, from start to finish. But one of the things that you're going to find is that even though it's brief in terms of its length, it covers a whole host of topics, a myriad of thematic subject matters in a very concise and short space. As you read the book of Jonah, you're going to find it's a book, first of all, I think about God's love for the nations. That's the most obvious thing. Do you believe this morning God loves everybody in the world? God loves all nations, even those who collectively don't look like us, don't believe like us, aren't organized the same way our country is organized. No matter what, we learn from reading the book of Jonah that God has a deep and abiding love for all nations, even wicked nations, even wicked people that comprise wicked nations. Jonah's a book about the love of God. Jonah's a book about missions. 
As we're going to find out this morning, it's a book about a God who calls, a God who calls people to go, a God who calls people to share, a God who calls people to testify. And oftentimes, we're going to find that that calling is not always to easy places. Sometimes it's to remote places, out-of-the-way places. Sometimes it's to people who are hard to like, hard to get along with, even dangerous and evil people from time to time. Jonah is a book about God's love. It's a book about missions. Also, we find as we read Jonah, Jonah is a book about the persistent problem of racism. Jonah deals with some racist tendencies, doesn't he? Uh, concerning people who don't look like him and act like him and believe like him. And so this is a very timely message for a people and for a nation still dealing with decades and decades of racist tendencies. And that's true not just in our country, that's true literally all over the world. Every country that I've visited, and I've visited a bunch of them, it's not hard to find ethnic minorities who are hated by the majority indigenous population. Where you're gonna find some of that in Jonah and we're gonna see why that kind of thinking is an offense to God himself. Let me just ask you all this morning, are there people or groups that you just have trouble loving? Are there people you have trouble liking? I mean, are there people that you tend to just write off if you're not careful, that you're prone to just ignore because of what they believe religiously or because of how they behave sexually or because of what they embrace politically. I mean, this is why the message of Jonah is still for us. An ancient book that tends to deal with very modern problems because the truth be told, all of us wrestle with feelings like that, if we're honest. And so the book of Jonah is timely and important. Usually when the book of Jonah comes up in conversation though, uh, if you're like most people, you think of one thing and that is that blasted fish in the book of Jonah. Sometimes referred to as a whale, it's not called a whale. It's called very simply a great fish. Somebody posted a picture on Instagram taking about 1900 of a catfish that was about the height of two or three men. I've never seen anything like it. I'm gonna show it to you before this series is over. So it doesn't have to even be a whale to swallow somebody who may be in Jonah being a Palestinian, very small Palestinian Jew, very small guy probably, short of stature, no problem at all. But here's the thing, don't fixate on the story of the fish or you'll miss the bigger picture. Did everybody hear me say amen? This is fundamentally about so much more than a story that many have used not only to discredit Jonah, but to attempt to discredit the Bible as a whole. That may be the most unbelieved miracle that you find anywhere in Scripture. Certainly the one that causes the most, only creation probably tends to create more discussion. Creation and the resurrection of Jesus, probably more discussion, but I think people could more easily believe in intelligent design or the resurrection of Christ from the dead than they can this narrative. It's the most disbelieved miracle in the whole Bible. But again, to focus on this one element of Jonah is to miss the larger point 
of the story itself. In fact, let's begin with what I consider to be the key verse of Jonah, and it's not in the first chapter, it's actually the last verse of the whole book. And so we're gonna begin with the ending in mind today, and that is uh, Jonah chapter uh, four, and watch verse 11, where God says to Jonah, in the face of his anger and hostility directed toward God, God asked, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? That's the key verse in the book. God is telling Jonah, you mean to tell me that you want me to ignore what may well be at this point in time the most influential people on the planet and you want me to ignore them and withhold my grace from them because you don't like them. And God had a different plan altogether. And so I say all that because I believe grace, grace, grace is the primary theme of the book of Genesis. It's about God's relentless grace to pursue the entire world with the gospel of salvation. And it's the main reason that we have Jonah in our Bibles. Jonah is in your Bible not to present to you a miracle about a man being swallowed by a fish and then thrown back up. Jonah is in your Bibles to help you better understand the amazing grace of our living Lord. Another major theme of the book is the importance of unqualified, unconditional obedience whenever God calls. And that's what I want to look at as we begin this series of studies this morning. I want us to look for a few minutes at the problem of saying no when God says go. Look with me at Jonah chapter 1 beginning in the first three verses. Everybody ready to read? Say amen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now what I'd like to do with that as our backdrop this morning is just take a few minutes and present to you if I could by means of teaching three very important tendencies that we tend to have when God calls us to do something that's unexpected, uninvited, and unattractive. And let me just say, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be times, many times, that God will speak to your heart and what he compels you to do will be uninvited, it will be unattractive, and it will be very unexpected. What you're gonna do when God calls you to a difficult thing in a difficult place. The first thing that we tend to do by means of response in times like that is we try to silence God's voice. That's what you subliminally try to do. You try to put a sock in God's mouth. You try to put a muzzle on the Lord. Disobedience is nothing more than an attempt 
to silence what you know to be in your heart to be the very voice and leading of God. The book of Jonah and his journey begins with the voice of God. Do you all believe God is a communicating God? Do you believe that God still speaks? All of us who read the Bible know that God is a God who speaks. He's a God who communicates. And Jonah reminds us that right out of the gate. We open up the pages to the book of Jonah, and this is an abrupt, dramatic introduction that's kind of unique among the prophetic writings. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, that's not unusual, but you don't see another prophetic book begin quite that way. Just right out of the gate, bang, we look at the first line, and God speaks. And what God says comes in the form of what we call a call, a divine call. God calls Jonah. He calls a specific person with a specific mission to a specific place. And that's just a reminder that when God speaks, God tends to not speak in generalities. God speaks with crystal and absolute clarity. Part of our problem is we don't often appreciate what God has to say. We don't often like what God has to say. We don't often want to embrace either the people to whom God calls us, the ministry to which God calls us, or the place to which God calls us, and so we attempt to put a muzzle on God. We're not told exactly how God spoke to Jonah, and for that I'm kind of glad. Because if God said, or if the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah in this way, you and I'd be tempted to say, well, God hadn't spoke to me that way, so this message must not be for me. God speaks in a number of ways throughout the Bible. Maybe he spoke to Jonah with a loud voice, an audible voice that was crystal clear. Don't you wish God would just always do that? Amen. But he probably didn't with Jonah. He may have. But maybe it was through a dream. God does that a lot through the Old Testament especially. And the New Testament as well. Man, you just read the Christmas narratives, right? And people are just dreaming all night long, all night, every night, right? And they find out it's God that's speaking to them through those dreams. Maybe it was a dream. We're not told. Maybe God showed up in a whirlwind or in a natural event or maybe in a vision or an epiphany. Or maybe just maybe. It's how God often still speaks to us today with, by the Holy Spirit with that still, small voice. It's not out loud, but you feel it, and it's as if God's in the room with you. You know the voice of the Spirit of God is speaking to you and communicating deep within the way God spoke isn't qualified, but that's not what in, what's important. What's important is not the means or the manner by which God spoke. What's important is that God spoke. God is a communicating God. And when God does, he has one expectation and one expectation only. Mark it down. God expects instant obedience from those whom he calls. It's the only right response, which makes Jonah's initial response disappointing. Because when we read about the background of Jonah, we find the book of Jonah is not the only place he shows up in the Bible. He shows up in the book of 2 Kings. He's ministering during the reign of King Jeroboam of Israel in the northern kingdom, which makes him one of the earliest prophets. Jonah was probably on the scene around 750 years before the birth of Christ, making him one of the earliest prophets 
uh, following the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha. Jonah's probably the earliest of the biblical prophets who has a book of the Bible named after him. He may have been closely connected with Amos, but he's an early prophet. And like most of the other prophets, he was given a call to preach a message to a wayward backslidden Israel and there, don't, there doesn't seem to be any indication in what little bit we have about Jonah outside of the book of Jonah that when God called him previously, he ever batted an eye about it. No indication he ever backed up. He was evidently quick to embrace God's call and go to the people of God and speak a word of repentance to God. So when we see this call, we expect Jonah to arise and say yes to God. But that's not what happens. Jonah shocked at what is attached to the voice of God. And when God uh, indicates what it is he's calling him to do, Jonah, contrary to what we would expect, says no when God says go. And all in the world that kind of disobedience is, is an attempt to silence the voice of God, which is something that every single one of us will be tempted to do because God does not call us to a life of ease. God calls us to a life of sacrifice and a life of humble service. Contrary to what we often see on Christian broadcasting and Christian written materials, where over the last hundred years we've been taught that God wants everybody prosperous and living in McMansions and driving nice luxury cars all over town, and if it's not, then you're not living in the will of God. You don't find that kind of prosperity gospel anywhere in the Bible. God never calls anybody to ease. In fact, God says, woe be unto those who are at ease in Zion. That's what another prophet named Amos had to say. No, he calls us to do hard things. And if God hadn't called you to do something that requires sacrifice or service in some way, you probably need to turn your heart and get it more attuned to God because that probably means you're not living very closely as you follow the Lord. Jonah doesn't like what he's told to do. And when God spoke, Jonah rebelled because his call took him away from his comfort zone. And that was problematic. And here's the thing, when God calls, it'll take you away from it too. What's God calling you to do this morning, Hillcrest family? Maybe God's calling you to begin a relationship with him today. Some of y'all are here and you've never established a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, you can be sure God's calling you to that today. I'm telling you, God is calling you to be saved today. And he's doing it by his word and through this preacher here in the house of God this morning. What you going to do with it? Resist it? Say no when God says go? Or will you embrace it and find your fulfillment and purpose for all of life? That very purpose for which God has given you life. Maybe you're here this morning and God's calling you to ministry of some kind to a place of service at Hillcrest. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field. Maybe he's literally calling you to get up and go to a strange place. Maybe he's calling you to join our church, get busy serving him with your whole heart. Maybe he's calling you to reconcile, to get life back together with a member of your family or somebody that you go to school with or somebody that you work with, someone in your church. The point is God calls people like you and me, 
to a place of usefulness in the kingdom. He calls us to accomplish his work. And when God speaks, God does not speak with a muddled voice, but with absolute crystal clarity. Whatever he's calling you to do, wherever he may be calling you to go, even though you've got a pile of excuses as high as an elephant's eye, you need to learn that the wise response is to embrace God's call and obey that voice because there are always consequences when you seek to silence the voice of God. Everybody with me so far say amen. Let me show you a second tendency when God calls us to do hard things. We try to frustrate God's will. If we can't silence God's voice, we'll, t- we'll seek to frustrate or compromise God's will. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes there may be a shade of difficulty understanding what we call the specific will of God. That can be at times something of a challenge, but I'll be honest with you, most of the time in my journey with people along the way, and even in my own life, in my own struggles along the way, particularly as a young adult, I've found that most of the time the problem is not so much God's ability to communicate, but my ability to listen and just obey. That's usually the bigger problem. Jonah's case was not a case of misunderstanding God's will. It was totally clear. And you know what? Much much of the time, our problem in obeying God is not that we don't understand God. You know what our bigger problem is? That we do understand God. Understanding God for a lot of people can be problematic because of what God's call involves. And when that's the case, we try and convince ourselves that it's actually in our best interest to either compromise God's will, water it down, or even completely ignore it altogether as if that will just make it go away. Maybe that's why so many of us, I think, are drawn to the story of Jonah time and time again because truthfully, if you're like me, looking at the story of Jonah is like looking at my own reflection in a mirror. I mean, because the truth is we often get a word from the Lord only to find that it's a word we don't at all want to hear. That was Jonah. His heart literally sinks. His countenance literally falls when he hears what God has to say. Get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah begins to clear the wax out of his right ear because he says, well, wait a minute. I get the get up and go part because you've asked me to do that before, but I, I thought you said Nineveh, and that can't be right. So if you don't mind, God, if you just kind of rewind the tape and then hit play again and, and hit me again with it, arise and go to Nineveh. And Jonah just cannot believe, because this is the first time in Scripture we have a Hebrew Jewish prophet being called to a Gentile people to preach the message of repentance. Most of the time, the prophets are called to preach a message of repentance to whom? To the people of Israel. That's right. Well, that's just a whole lot easier to do because Jonah was one of them and he'd done it before. But this was different. And Jonah begins to rationalize, wait a minute, we, we don't take our message about our God to people who aren't us. And he's struggling with that. But God's giving this prophet a mission is no small task. 
I mean, would you not agree? This is, even, even if you don't know much about Nineveh, you get the picture. This ain't no preaching mission in paradise. God is not calling uh, Jonah to Honolulu to preach the gospel for his name's sake. This is not a call to the Virgin Islands. This is not a call to Cancun. It's not a call to paradise. It's an intentional call to a hard place. Go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The idea is smoke billowing up into the sky from a fire. The Living Bible literally says Nineveh's wicked, wickedness smelled to the highest heaven. And indeed it did. Nineveh was, of course, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They're kind of still in their ascendancy in the time that Jonah is called to preach to them, but they would become the biggest threat to the national security of Israel, and they would eventually uh, conquer the city of Jerusalem around 722 B.C., about 40 years removed from when Jonah started preaching the message of the gospel. They were bad news bears, right? God calls them a great city, not great in righteousness, not great in justice, but great in terms of their size and great in terms of the scope of the city and great in terms of the influence of the city and the culture of the city. Nineveh was like most fortified establishments in that day. It was surrounded by two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall for defense purposes. If the outer wall was ever breached, everybody would retreat into the inner walls for a secondary line of defense. And we know from archaeological excavation that the, that the wall around Nineveh, the interior wall, not even the exterior, but the interior wall, if you started walking at one point, walked all the way around it, you will have taken an eight-mile hike. And inside the walls of the inner city of Nineveh, eight miles in circumference, were 120,000 people, none of whom had a relationship with the Creator God. That's one of the largest cities in the ancient world, massive in terms of its size and scope. And the Assyrians, of course, weren't nice people. They didn't help little old ladies across the street. They were wicked, savage, bloodthirsty people. Could list a hundred things that they would do to their enemies once they had conquered them. The most outrageous to me is that they would literally dismember them. They would cut off the legs and one arm, leaving one arm on a dying torso so that they could shake the person's hand in mockery as he lay dying. They would stretch out the tongues of their victims skin them, flay them alive, and stretch their skin like parchment on the walls of the cities that they'd conquered. Many of the enemy soldiers would be beheaded and their heads would be given to their family members atop a pike and the family members would be forced to march in a victory parade for the Assyrians carrying their beloved family member's head on the top of a pike. Are you getting the picture that these are bad dudes? Are you gaining an understanding of why Jonah may have been just a little bit hesitant, wanting to make sure that he's got the voice of God figured out? 
because he couldn't convince himself that this was something that God really wanted him to do. There's no wonder Jonah said no when God said go. It's an attempt to compromise the will of God. It's an attempt to frustrate it, to undo it, to take himself completely out of it. But may I make a statement? You may try to do that, and many of you probably have. But your attempt to frustrate or compromise the will of God can never undo the will of God. Your disobedience will never alter God's will. It's not like you're going to say no to God. God's going to start wringing his hands like I do sometimes when I think I've got something figured out and I've got the right person and the person says, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I begin to wonder, well, I wonder if this is something that we should really do. Maybe I'm wrong in my thinking. God's not going to do that. You're saying no is not going to change God's mind about what his very best for your life is in terms of your usefulness to him. There may need to be a reconsideration, but not on God's part. Maybe you need to be the one to reconsider what's going on. What difficult thing are you resisting today? Is it a move? Is it a... A, a different job, a career change. Listen, I've been there. I've told some people before, I never wanted to pastor a local church. I, in fact, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Both of my great-grandfathers were preachers, lived hand to mouth. I didn't want any part of that. I had stars in my eyes, places I wanted to go. I never wanted to walk the halls of a church. I wanted to walk the halls of Congress. I wanted to walk the halls of the State Department. I wanted to walk the halls of a Fortune 500 company. I look back and wanting to walk the halls of Congress. I'm not sure why today I wanted to do that then. And when I look at the mistake that I would have made had I turned right when God said go left, I shudder to think about it. I did resist it for the longest time. God called me to preach when I was 17 years old. Struggled with it through four years of college. When I was a junior in college, I had the materials from one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. I'd gathered them all up, gone through them all, and I, I could take you to the time and the place in my mother's house when I wadded all of that material up and stuffed it in a trash can saying, there's no way I'm going to do anything like that. And I did walk the halls of a Fortune 500 company for a few years. And you know what God did? God started letting everybody around me in on his call to me. God can be sneaky like that. I started having people come up to me and say, what are you waiting for? Everybody around you, whenever you open up a Bible in a group of pe people, you go to preaching, you're already doing it, so you might as well do it all the way. And I thought, I've never had this conversation with you. Why are you all up in my business? God's voice was never silenced. And his will could not be compromised. There are always consequences when you seek to silence God's voice and there are always consequences when you try to compromise God's will. But then there's a third thing we find from these opening verses of Jonah and that is that sometimes when we're presented with a tough or challenging call, we try to run from God's presence. Everybody knows that Jonah tried to run from God. And verse 3 really begins with these 
regrettable words, but Jonah. Our student pastor, Dustin Scott, posted a, a, a great little Instagram this week and on Twitter, it was a piece of artwork that just said, but God, and he posted a little couple of statements there about how these were some of the most powerful words in the Bible, but God. And so whenever you have the conjunction, but, and God follows it, that's always a, a, an amazing, miraculous, worshipful, supernatural thing. But the opposite is just as true. Whenever you have in the Bible, but, and somebody's name behind it, that's never a good thing. There's always a mess getting ready to happen when it says, but David, or but Solomon, or but Jonah. Y'all get the picture? It's always a negative, and this is what happens here. God speaks, but Jonah. And what Jonah does is no good. We expect Jonah to rise and go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it. You're talking about trying to hide from God. He ain't even standing on the deck. I'm going down to the lowest hole, went down into the ship, to the darkest part of the ship, closed the door, pulled the covers over his head. And he went with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. The New Living Translation says that Jonah was hoping to escape from the Lord, which is what the rebellious prophet tried to do. Look at the screens and I'll show you a map of what he was trying to do. God had originally called Jonah to go 500 miles northwest from where he was. The Bible says he lived in the land of Palestine in the little village of Geth Hefer, three miles from Nazareth where the Lord Jesus Christ was raised. And then he moves over a little bit to the west to go to the port city of Joppa off of the coast of Israel or on the coast of Israel. Instead of going 500 miles northwest to Nineveh where God was calling him, which is modern day Iraq, he goes the other way. He goes southwest, hops on a boat, and his intention is to sail all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish, which is on the southern coast of Spain. I was in Seville, Spain last year and my friend Marcos Cespedes who pastors the little church there that we've partnered with took me to a high place one afternoon and he, looked, he pointed out and he said, Pastor Jim, can you see that mountain range out there? And I said, yeah. He said, that's Tarshish. That's where Jonah tried to run. And of course, those of you that know your biblical history know that the map ended right there. There was nothing west as far as anybody knew. That's where everybody fell off if you sail past it. Jonah was headed to what Paul called the uttermost part of the world. As far away from God as he could possibly run. This would be like God calling me in Pensacola, Florida to go and preach the gospel in Canada. But instead of heading north to Canada, I head south to Miami, get on a boat. The boat takes me around the southern tip of South America all the way to New Zealand. That would be the modern equivalent. This is how desperate Jonah was to get away from the will of God. He didn't know what to do. 
So he ran. As if that were even possible to hide from God. An omnipresent God who's created the world and everything in it. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, David says it, where shall I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? If I go to the highest point, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go all the way to Sheol, God is already there. You can't run from God. Why would he try to do that? I'm gonna give you three reasons we tend to try to run from the will of God. The first simply is fear. We're just afraid of it. Jonah was afraid. He was afraid of the Ninevites as a people. He was afraid of their ways. He was fearful of what they might do to him. Can you imagine? This would be like me walking into the middle of Mogadishu in Somalia and starting to preach the gospel. Walking to, think of the, of the biggest hotbed that you could think. He was fearful. I tell you another thing he was probably afraid of, what his fellow Jews would think of him. My, my, my. That's the enemy. I'll be ostracized. My own people will hate me for doing that. We all want those people to die and go to hell. We want God to judge them, not save them. Can you imagine the ridicule when I tell my family and my friends that I'm taking this message of repentance and salvation and I'm going to preach it to the Ninevites? This man was a fearful man. And that led him to run from God. He's afraid of the outcome. But then, I don't think there's any doubt, Jonah not only was afraid, he was angry. He was angry. Anger is another reason we often try to run from the presence of God. Let me take you once again to the end of the book. Jonah chapter 4. Look with me at the first verse. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was what? Say it out loud. There it is. We don't even have to surmise it. This was a mad man. This guy was mad at God. He was mad at the world. He was mad at the Ninevites. He was mad at grace. He was mad at mercy. He was just mad at everything. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You know what the bottom line is? Jonah ran from God because he didn't like the plan of God. He knew all these things about God. He knew the grace of God and he knew the mercy of God and he knew the forgiveness of God and he didn't want to run the risk that these people that he didn't like might actually respond to the preaching of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness and actually get saved and become his fellow brother in the faith. That was a risk that he would not take. He didn't like the plan. He wanted God to judge the Ninevites, not to save them. And if we're not careful today, we'll find ourselves thinking exactly the same way. Jonah may have been a God-called prophet, but would you not agree with me? This man's got a heart problem running really deep. He really needs revival. I don't recommend that he wait for revival before he obeys God. You just obey God, let the revival catch up with you, but he needs revival. Frankly, He's a hyper-nationalist Jew. He's a racist. He's a racist. 
He actually believed that God only loves people that look like him. That's right. He believes that God loves people that only look like him, think like them, believe like him, act like him. I mean, it's just inconceivable that God could save anybody else to Jonah. And that ticked him off at God. So he said, God, I'm gonna show you. I ain't gonna do it. (laughs) He tries to run from God because he's just mad. So we run when we're afraid. We run when we're angry. But there's a third reason Jonah ran, I think, and that's just plain old-fashioned selfishness. Jonah's just living his life all about him. You know why he ran? He ran because he didn't want to obey. And the reason he didn't want to obey is because what God wanted and what he wanted were just miles and miles apart. God uh, had a plan And the problem with Jonah is that Jonah wanted God to take God's plan and mold it around Jonah's plan. Now, I know that never happens to anybody in the room. Not. You can't sit there and tell me that you've never made out a list, drawn it up on architectural paper, and then handed it to God and said, here, God, do this in my life. This is what's best for me. And then when God puts it through the shredder, you get hacked off at God and in your selfishness, you turn your back to God and you put your face to the wind of your own desires. Happens all the time. Because we want God to adjust to our way of thinking. And he won't do it. Because newsflash, God's wiser than you are. And this is the truth we must learn in our quest to Christian maturity. Our understanding or misunderstanding of God's plan does not mean it's inferior to our own plan. The question is, Will you simply obey God even though you don't have all the details? That's what's at stake. And when God won't do that with Jonah, when the plan that God presents to Jonah is uncomfortable, unexpected, and uninvited, dangerous, Jonah does what we do. He said no. When God said go. Now, I'm sure that the minute Jonah stepped foot on that boat, he thought he was finished with God. You know what you find as you keep reading the story? Jonah may have thought he was finished with God, but thank God, God wasn't finished with Jonah. He is a God who pursues Jonah bet the rest of his life on this foolish notion that he could run from God's presence and God would just kick back in his lazy boy and let the man go in peace. Can I make a statement this morning? Are y'all still with me? Say amen. You will never find peace when you flee from God. There is no peace in any attempt to escape from the will 
of God. God will dog you day and night until you, even if it takes you kicking and screaming, coming back into the center of his very best for your life. You may think you're finished with God, but our pursuing Lord is never finished with you. What you running from today? You're running from God's call to surrender your life to him and be saved? Are you running from God's obvious call to a place of ministry and a place of service? Are you running from God's call to stop an unhealthy habit or to stop an unhealthy, unbiblical relationship or maybe to restore a broken relationship? Whatever it is that you're running from, let me give you a word today. You cannot silence God's voice. You cannot frustrate God's will and try as you might. You can never escape from the presence of the Lord in your life. So beware of the incredible tendency ever since the time of Jonah and even before Jonah of saying no when God says go. This is God's infallible, inerrant, eternal word straight from the book and all God's people said, amen.